This episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you by Lloyds Bank. With their Club Lloyds current account, you can now get 12 months of Disney Plus as your lifestyle benefit. To know me is to know that I love watching things on TV, so I am so excited to tell you about this. You might think that Disney Plus is just for Disney films. And yes, it's great for all of them. We must have watched Disney's Frozen at least 100 times by now. But it's so much more than that. With Disney Plus, there is endless entertainment with exclusive originals, brand new series, blockbuster movies. And it's just one of the great benefits that you can now get with a Club Lloyds account. I highly recommend watching The Bear if you haven't seen it yet. It's all about a talented chef who's presented with the challenge of overhauling his family sandwich shop. Season two is coming soon and I can't wait. Lloyds Bank are taking care of not only your banking needs, but entertainment too. Visit lloydsbank.com forward slash Club Lloyds to find out more. £3 monthly fee is charged to maintain the Club Lloyds account, but waived each month that you pay in £2,000 or more. UK residents, 18 and over, Disney Plus subscription required. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much to Lloyds Bank. Hi, I'm Margie Nomura and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island Dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. The question is, what would you choose as your last meal? Hi, I hope you're all very well. This is a lovely episode this week with Emma, who is of course best known for her presenting, but a lot of her work has coincided with presenting food shows, which is really interesting. She won the Great British Bake Off Stand Up to Cancer, she got a hot and clammy handshake from Paul Hollywood, and she actually made the biscuits that she was first taught as a child, which is a really lovely story. I sat down with Emma to talk all things Cooking with the Stars, which returns to our screens this week. She shares what the days look like presenting a show like that. I have no idea. From the treats in her trailer to how she thinks she's actually improved as a cook since getting the job. I love the range of people I get to talk to through Desert Island Dishes and finding out about the food that means the most to people, hearing the occasions that it creates and the stories behind why they love it. Hearing from people within the world of food is wonderful, but I do also really love the chance to speak to people doing amazing things beyond the world of food because we'll all eat and what we choose to eat and what we love to eat is, I think, really interesting. We have very rarely, but we have had a guest on who ate really only to live, which is so far from how most of us choose to live. And to me, that was really interesting. Now, I wouldn't want that to be the case for every guest, (laughs) but I do think it's good to hear from a range of people. Emma takes sandwiches very seriously, which you know I always appreciate. And so I do hope you enjoyed today's episode, brought to you in partnership with Lloyds Bank. I'll see you on the other side. My guest today is Emma Willis. 
Emma is a TV presenter, ex-model, wife and mother. She is one of the most experienced and versatile broadcasters in the UK. Across her incredible career to date, Emma has presented juggernaut shows such as Big Brother for six series, The Circle, Celebrity Big Brother's Bit on the Side. And alongside her radio and reality television credentials, Emma was not only a contestant on The Great Celebrity Bake Off for Stand Up to Cancer last year, but she went on to win it. Her husband, the musician Matt Willis, said this was no surprise to him as she is naturally good at everything and if she wants to do something, she'll make it happen. In 2019, she trained and qualified as a maternity care assistant for the television show Delivering Babies and now in 2023, Emma continues to present The Voice and Cooking with the Stars on ITV. Welcome, Emma. Wow, I'm much more capable than I give myself credit for. You are, and that brings me on to my first question. You've described yourself in previous interviews as a glass half empty kind of person, and you say that isn't about being a pessimist, it's about being a realist. Have you always thought that way? Um, I think I've thought that way since I knew what all those words meant. (laughs) So when I was younger, I was a bit of a warrior. I was really shy when I was young. Were you? Um, Yeah. And um, I didn't have like masses of confidence, but I was always smiling and I was very happy. So, and eating sweets. But yeah, I think definitely as I've got older, I, I, I think it comes from a place of I never want to be disappointed so if I have my glass half empty, then um, you don't get dropped from such a high height. Yeah, <laughs> there's, like, there's a slight bit of expectation already there in, in um, the back of your head. But, you know, I'm also a really positive person, which is where I try to filter in, I'm just actually a realist. You know, things can be great, but they can end very quickly or things can be terrible and suddenly you can turn a corner and the whole narrative can change. So, Mm. um, yeah, realist rather than pessimist, definitely. There's a quote which is about being a pessimist and how the best thing is that you're either always proved right, which is obviously a very nice feeling, (laughs) or you're pleasantly surprised. So, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I definitely (laughs) prefer the pleasantly surprised part of it. Um... But yeah, I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to be more of a manifester of positivity. Mm. The older I get, the more you gain a little bit of perspective, I think. And I'm certainly feeling much better about myself as I get older and a bit more um, comfortable with myself. So I'm also trying to have a more positive, glass half full mindset. So, Emma, whilst you haven't made a career in the world of food as a chef or directly within it, food has played a role in your career through Cooking with the Stars and the World Cook. So I'm very interested to get straight into the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a dish, but it was um, baking. Mm. So when I was um, a kid, my nan would bake and my nan's best friend, Auntie Wynne, she was phenomenal. If she was still with us today, she would give Mary Berry a run for her money. Like, she was just phenomenal. She made our birthday cakes every single year. She made the most phenomenal cheesecake I've ever tasted. And she would always come round. I grew up in a, 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 in a place where, you know, kind of a very traditional working class 
family where all of our family were around us and everybody raised us. So my nan was always there. My parents, if they were working, my nan was there. And if she wasn't there, my her sister was there. And if she wasn't there, Auntie Wynne was there. And they were always kind of chipping in to help. But she was the baker. And um, she was the first person that I really spent time baking with. She would come around. Um, we would make Viennese biscuits and just the whole process of kind of like painting the chocolate on the end. And she taught me how to use an icing bag. So all of those things, but I was really young. And then I didn't really bake again until I had kids. And it had been such a long period of time that I didn't actually know what to do. But then when I did Bake Off, she was the reason I made my elephant biscuits because it was her recipe. Oh, I wondered Um, that. Yeah. It was her recipe, and they are the they are the biscuits that we used to bake together when I was a kid. Um, so when I think about food and my childhood, it's very much based in her and baking. Um, but then obviously I had to do an animal, and I did the elephant, and it ended up looking like a penis and testicles. <laughs> it was quite phallic looking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that's quite fun, <laughs> you know, for Bake Off. <laughs> did she write down all of her recipes? Yeah, she did. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, she had. Um, she's got a whole recipe book of things, mm. and her daughter Linda, who's still a really good friend of our family, um, I called her and I was like, "Do you mind if I use Auntie Wynne's recipe? This is what I'm doing." And she oh. was like, "Em, oh, we please do." She would be over the moon. Oh, I'm so pleased that she yeah. wrote down all her recipes. Yeah, yeah, she did. So, so Linda sent it to me and. And we baked them. I wondered for that answer because I know now that you don't eat fish, but it's something (laughs) that you blame your mum for because when you were little, she would get rose slices and fry them in a pan and make you eat them. So I wondered whether that was going to be your answer. (laughs) No. No, actually, see, the thing, I think the thing is when you ask about your most memorable, you always think of the best. Yeah. (laughs) But actually... One of the most memorable worst is is also probably my most favourite meal, which is her roast dinner. But when we were kids, she used to make seed sprouts and I hated them. And she would mash them into our mashed potato and say, just eat it, you can't taste it. I'm like, how do you think a <laughs> potato hides the taste of a sprout? This is me being half, glass half full. Yeah, I'm thinking of the positive. But yeah, the row thing... That was gross. Yeah, that's quite an intense taste even for a grown-up. It is really interesting how both positive and negative things, they they shape who you are as a grown-up in a way, don't they? Like, you you now don't eat fish. And I say I don't eat fish. I do eat some fish. Oh, you do? Yeah, I don't eat strong-tasting Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that. And I don't eat things with a shell. I like cod. I suppose it's not something I really dislike. I just wouldn't go for it immediately. If I looked yeah. at a menu, I wouldn't be thinking, oh, I really want a piece of fish. Yeah. Unless it's from the chippy. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's deep fried. So, yeah. yeah. Covered in batter. Born in Sutton Coalfield, your first career was that of a model and you worked very successfully for 10 years, moving to London at the age of just 17. I think the story goes that it was your mum who sent your pictures to the modelling agency when you were 15 and that's how you got signed. Is that how it happened? I was 16... I think. Yeah, I was 16. And my mum's friend was hanging some curtains in our living room. And she um, said, oh, Emma should be a model. And I hated having my picture taken. If you could see that 15, 16-year-old Emma, you wouldn't go, oh, she should be a model. But 
my mum took some pictures and, and sent them off to an agency and, and they said, yeah, come in. We'll do a test shoot, see how they look. And then they said, we send pictures of a handful of girls down to a London agency every year. Very rarely does anyone get picked up, but we'll send yours and see what they say. And, and they came back and said, come down and have a meeting. So I went down, family out in, uh, we all piled into the agency and I sat down um, with the booker and we had a chat um, and she kind of stared at me and she took some Polaroids and she went away and she came back and she said, yes, we think there's something there, but we would like you to cut your hair off and dye it brown. Mm. What colour was it? Like mousy. Okay. Yeah. And then she said, and, uh, so cut your hair off, dye it brown and come to London for the summer. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> anything you want. <laughs> Meanwhile, my mum was kind of staring at me, shaking in her boots, like, really? <laughs> um, so I did that and I never really went back. Yeah. But moving to London at the age of 17 on your own, it's, it's so young and you were doing so well, modelling for the likes of Gap, Chanel, Vogue, Marie Claire. What was that time like? Uh, it was really exciting, I think. I was 17. I never really dreamt that that would be my vocation or that I would live in London. London was very much on a pedestal. I thought it was a really fantastic place. So when I got, even though I knew nothing about it really, um, when I got the chance to move here, I was super excited. I'd lived at home up until that point and I'd had part-time jobs, but I was still at school and I'd never had, you know, anything like a real job. And I never thought I would be there for very long. I thought I'd be there for the summer and then that would be it. I couldn't believe that, you know, it kind of carried on year after year. I was always waiting for the jobs to stop and the money to dry up and time to kind of toddle on back to Birmingham. But that never happened. Never happened, no. You've said that at that time you moved to London, you couldn't cook and you just eat toasted sandwiches or chicken burgers from the freezer. So I'm intrigued to know <laughs> about the second desert island dish. <laughs> true the second desert island dish is the first dish that you learned to cook so the first dish I um I learned to cook was I'd spent three years in London as a model and literally lived off toasted sandwiches and frozen chicken burgers and then at 21 I moved to New York um which is amazing because everything was at your fingertips you could get takeaway you could get delivery um, it was quite different to London where you had to do everything yourself. And there was a really lovely girl there that I was friends with. She used to rustle up this um, vegetable pasta mm-hmm. and uh, and I watched her cook it and I cooked it and cooked it and cooked it for ages. And it was literally just like boiling pasta, chucking some vegetables into a pan, mixing it around, putting some mozzarella on it, salt and pepper, and, and that was it. But I literally was like oh look at me with my vegetables and my pasta who do I think I am living in New York um so I think that was probably the first dish I I learned to make but that is an exciting feeling when you can finally cook something and and it's something truly delicious and you feel excited about it it sounds like I'd I'd never been around cooking but it was all home cooking Mm. when I was growing up my parents were fantastic in the in the kitchen and my nan was really good at cooking so you know, we were surrounded by home-cooked food, but it was just done for us. And yeah. I would watch, but I wasn't really interested in how it was made. I just wanted to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is very relatable, yeah. Emma. <laughs> 
After a very successful modeling career that took you around the world to Australia and New York, you then made the move to presenting. You got a highly coveted job working at MTV. You were nearly 27 when you got the MTV job, which you say is on the older side to break into that sort of industry. That must have been incredibly exciting and obviously a very natural move for you. But tell us a little bit about how that came about. I don't know if it was a natural move because I I wasn't really someone who was... um massively confident I'm more of a oh I shouldn't be doing that who do I think I am trying to do that I was definitely ready to do something else but I didn't know what I'd had you know a fantastic 10 years I traveled the world I had seen some you know phenomenal places I'd had a lot of freedom in what I had done and I didn't know how to have that freedom in anything else. I didn't know what else was out there that would allow me to do that. Mm. And I I just thought if I go and do an office job, how am I gonna get on with a kind of nine to five structured every day? Yeah. Because I'd I'd never known it. So that was quite terrifying. My agent had a casting in for me from a commercial casting director that I knew who were looking for people for MTV. And they had said, we send Emma in because we think we should send her to them. So I went in and I wasn't really, I didn't really think about it. I wasn't concentrating. My best mate was um, (laughs) about to get married, but she lived in the States, but she was getting married in England. So I was kind of her feet on the ground helping her. And that was all that I was consumed with. So I went in to put myself on tape and they just asked me to talk for three minutes about anything. What did you talk about? I talked about a wedding that wasn't even mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And because I was so in it and I was, you know, kind of helping her as much as I could, I just waffled. And that really wasn't me because the minute... I was great with a still camera, but the minute a moving camera came on, I can't act, I can't do any of that. I kind of froze and felt very, like, out of my body. It was really strange. But I just waffled about weddings and about her... And um, that waffling paid off, apparently, because um, then I got a, a, a call saying that they wanted to see me in person um, on a Monday morning at 9am at their offices in Camden. Mm. And she was getting married on the Sunday. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That is bad timing. I was like, nine o'clock? <laughs> 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 okay. Um, and I remember uh, we obviously got very, very drunk and stayed up till the very early hours. And I got back to my hotel room um, at about four o'clock in the morning. I ordered a burger to try and sober me up. <laughs> um, I had about two or three hours sleep, got up, toddled off to Camden, still quite drunk. I mean, I would hate to see that audition tape. Oh, you actually had to go and do an audition? I had to put myself on tape. Oh, in no, the I thought it was just a meeting. No. Oh, no. No, they wanted to put me on tape in person. Oh. So I <laughs> in there. But I had another story to waffle about. My best friend got married yesterday. <laughs> Um, also being still probably a bit drunk. I mean, might I have was, helped I the was confidence. not a bit drunk. <laughs> I was definitely still drunk. I remember it so clearly. I walked in. To an office about the size that we're in now. And I sat down there and there was this girl that met me and she was so lovely. 
And I think because I was still a little bit drunk, I was I was very kind of loose and like, hi, rather than walking in absolutely <laughs> terrified and scared about what they were going to ask me, what I was going to have to do, that they were going to talk to me on camera and I would have to be all natural and normal and that just didn't feel right. But I was still pissed, so it was fine. <laughs> and you got the job. Yeah. And the girl that put me on camera, we ended up, being roommates and is still one of my really, really close friends to this day. No way. Yeah. And so having gone from feeling very nervous and unconfident in the audition process, when you did actually then step into the job, did it feel natural? No. No. It felt quite the opposite of okay. natural. I've just always had imposter syndrome. So I, you know, people like me don't have jobs like that. Is, is how I felt. Because I had not grown up in a world where you work in jobs on the telly mm. or music or the entertainment industry or anything like that. I watched telly. Mm. I didn't know how to be on telly. So, um, no, it felt really weird. And I remember them when I wasn't drunk and when <laughs> finally went into work there, um, you know, they did lots of kind of practising with us and I would just literally clam up and go, welcome to MTV. <laughs> To the point where the, the guy who was in charge of all of the new faces sat me down at a table and he said, right, I just want you to repeat over and over again, welcome to MTV, welcome to MTV, welcome to MTV, until it just becomes so natural to you that you're not panicking about saying, welcome to MTV, because you feel weird. You just go, welcome to MTV. And that was it. So I just repeated it, repeated it, and we sat in the cafe at the table just saying it over and over again. Um, and I still take that with me sometimes now when I'm feeling really nervous. I think that's so interesting because as someone who's only ever watched you on TV, I just assumed you were just hugely confident. And I think it's no. so interesting to know that that isn't how it started and, and some of those feelings do still remain. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just that, that constant worry of feeling like a fraud, um, not wanting to be a failure and thinking that people... Are looking at you and assuming that you're crap at what you do and <laughs> all of that glass off empty negative stuff um so I do it now like I before we start filming I'll practice my lines but I'll say them out loud so that everyone knows what I'm about to say um and now I just care less about what people think I think because I've been doing it oh, 20 years now that sounds weird to say out loud um that I'm like oh okay Maybe I'm not as bad as I thought. <laughs> Let's pause there and talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. This is really hard. I would say the best dish I've ever eaten is anything that is prepared for me mm. by somebody I love. So if my mum cooks or if Matt cooks, like if my mum makes her roast, I'm the happiest person in the world. Um, my sister, she lives with us and she rustles up some fantastic stuff. So she makes this amazing chicken quesadilla and she does um, sweet corn and feta. Like, it's really lovely. The feta starts to kind of go a little bit soft and she puts all these spices on it, like a little Mexican thing. So that's really nice. Um, in lockdown, Matt started making pies a lot, which I loved because he'd put, like, a pastry willy on the top and we'd oh. all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme um, so, so I would say things like that 
Growing up, I know your mom was a nurse and mm. a theatre assistant in the NHS. And so naturally, you had wondered whether maybe you would go into something similar. And what I think so amazing is that through your presenting work and the series Delivering Babies, you got the chance to practice midwifery, which you describe as a dream come true. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. There was absolutely not a shadow of a doubt that I would have gone to work in the NHS had I not have ended up in these two very... Um, strange worlds that I ended up in. Um, Not strange, but just, you know, not what I imagined my life to be, really. Um, It's 100% what I wanted to do, that I was surrounded by my whole life. Like, all I ever knew was her working in a hospital, and then my dad ended up working in the same hospital as well, so our lives have very much been based around the NHS. And midwifery was never something I was really interested in. I didn't really think about it or know about it. That felt very grown up. But I kind of loved the thought of (laughs) helping people and trying to fix things or people. Um, So that that all kind of played into what I thought I would end up doing. Mm. But um, when I had my first baby... That was when my eyes were really open to what midwives do and maternity teams. Even though my mum had worked on a maternity ward for like 20 years, (laughs) um, just the support they give you was phenomenal. Um, I'd been really lucky. I'd done loads of entertainment shows, but I really wanted to do a documentary and, and do something different. And I talked to loads of production companies and you kind of go into these meetings and they say, right, what do you want to do? It's like, well, I want to make a documentary. What do you want to make a documentary about? Well, I want to see babies being born. So we talked to lots of people for a good couple of years. And then one of our final meetings was with an amazing woman called Emma Morgan. And I sat down with her and said the same thing. Um, and she kind of sat upright and went, oh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? And she said, leave it with me. And she went away and a few months later she came back and she said, right, I've spoke to the Royal Society of Midwives and you can train to be a maternity care assistant in 12 weeks. <gasps> but if we do it, we have to do it fully immersive. Like that, nothing else work-wise. I want to go, I want to do it. I want to do their shifts. I want to do their training. I want to do everything that they would genuinely do. And we just film it. And that's what we did. Wow, that is amazing. It was incredible. And then I, I genuinely did feel like I, I got to live out my alternative yeah. life whilst doing this life that I never Mm. imagined I would ever have. It's something that I've said before on this podcast, but I do just think it's so interesting how life works out and how many different routes there are to end up somewhere similar. Like you say, who else gets to experience for a period of time a life that they could have had. Absolutely. We are, it's so ingrained in us that we have to pick something we want to do at a young age and stick with it for the rest of our lives. But really... We can do multiple things. We live in a very different world now, so Mm. I think we should try and follow whatever dreams or paths that come our way. We're on to the fourth and possibly most important question of the day. Emma, what is your favourite sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) This is a great question. I love a sandwich. Who doesn't? Um, And I've had, I think there's different sandwiches have dictated different parts of my life. Mm. So I always had a packed lunch at school. When I hated sandwiches, because there would always be corned beef in it. Oh. I mean, who? what child wants that, really? Now, however, I actually really appreciate corned beef. 
especially with some pickled onions. Mm. But so that was my childhood sandwich. Okay. Then um, when I was in my going out phase in my 20s, the best thing in the world was coming in after you've had a night out and making fish finger sandwiches with salt and vinegar and HP sauce. Ooh. Yeah, I became very, very good at that. Wait, we the HP finish... sauce needs talking about. I feel like that's quite yeah. a rogue choice in a fish oh, finger no. sandwich. No, Not when you're from Birmingham. Okay, oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, that's cut, the cut that was. immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe that's why I love it as well. Because every time we drive into town, there'd be this massive. HP chimney. Ah. Yeah, it's not there anymore. I think Heinz bought it. So fish finger sandwich with salt and vinegar and HP sauce at 3 a.m. is phenomenal. When all your mates come back after you've been out, that's brilliant. Um, Then my taste matured. Mm -hmm. So now I love a tomato mozzarella and basil toasted. Mm, Like panini style. Yeah. Mm in my face I love it so Um, good and so that's kind of my grown up Mm. sandwich when you're feeling nostalgic you go for the corned beef absolutely morning hangovers way back when chicken and stuff in from M&S I mean it's the only one really that does the job Mm. but those days are long gone you said that it did take a lot of setbacks and a lot of perseverance to get to where you are today and that's not necessarily something that people see it's not a part of the journey that they get to witness you've described a time where you felt just like you weren't quite right you weren't getting the roles that you wanted but no one could tell you why that must have had a real effect on your confidence. And I just wondered, in those moments, what made you carry on and were you ever close to just walking away? Yeah, quite a few times. Um, I mean, I spoke to quite a few people at the time and I was just like, do you think I should just sack this off now? Because I think I'd gone into it at MTV and I I was there for three years and I was contracted. So, so that was great. I'd come from a 10-year career of being self-employed to going into a brand new career that I knew nothing about and felt like I shouldn't be in and I had the safety of a contract which was amazing and then when that ended and they didn't renew it even though I'd been self-employed before I was suddenly self-employed in an industry that I didn't really know and I didn't know how to navigate and I felt really out of my depth and I suppose at the time it felt it it was a a good couple of years I, I did bits and bobs here but there was nothing concrete and I suppose looking back now, that wasn't a massive amount of time, but when you're in it, it feels like forever. Mm. And I would do a job, but then I'd never get asked back to do it again. And and that makes me feel confident in what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, okay, they've asked me to go back again. Oh, okay, they've asked. So when I was doing something once and then never getting a call about it again, that's what was knocking my confidence, I think, in a, that's because you're not good enough. They've chosen to use somebody else. But I'd come from a career as a model of you can't take things personally. So it was difficult because it was something brand new that I didn't know and I wasn't confident in it anyway. But I'd also had 10 years of going, you can't take things personally because you just don't look the way they want somebody to look for that job. But this was more on your personality rather than the way you look. But this is kind of going on you as a person Mm. and about what you bring it clearly had an impact because I still have that imposter syndrome creeping Mm. in every now and again now it's so interesting isn't it and actually like all of those experiences 
they probably did have absolutely nothing to do with you. And it, and it's so much more about the person making the decision and absolutely. existing relationships that they yeah. have and all the rest of it. But all of those things you do just take on yeah. internally. But I went to people that I knew and I went to within the industry and I went to people who I felt would be honest with me because, you know, there are many people that will say, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Which is really, if it was that great, why haven't you asked me back? Mm. (laughs) It's really unhelpful in that moment. That's not what you're asking for, and it's not what you need. And I love constructive criticism. Mm. Tell me if it's not right, that's the only way I can learn and get better or do the job right for you. If I don't agree with it, or you're asking me to do something that's not me, then you know, then that's a whole different ballgame. But Mm. unless there's a two-way conversation and honesty and clarity, then how are you meant to evolve and get better? Yeah. So so I asked a few people and they all went, no, just stick with it. It just takes time. Um, And I did. And thankfully, I would have been back in Birmingham if (laughs) if Matt hadn't have gone, don't worry, come live with me, Um, which was amazing. Mm. And no, this is very cheesy but that famous quote about it always being darkest before the dawn like in in hearing people's stories it so often is the way that people are so close to giving up and just before they do that's when something amazing happens which is obviously very hard to think about in that moment and takes a lot of strength to to get to that point yeah I think for me as well though I I I was always a warrior so so to to be in a place where you're worrying about what people think of you and why you're why you didn't get that job the worry kind of starts to consume you and then i had isabel and i just was like do you know what there is more stuff to be worrying about and my whole perspective changed and she was the most important thing it was like right i need to kind of learn how to be a mum rather than worrying about not working um and I stopped worrying about what people thought as well a little bit, I think, because I thought if I can raise a human, I can read a not a cue. Mm. Or if I can raise a human, I can interview somebody and not be absolutely terrified that that person just thinks I'm stupid. Yeah. And that I don't know what I'm talking about. And it was, she was one and then I got my first job on Big Brother. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah, just a change in perspective. Absolutely. And just the realisation that, you know, this is not brain surgery or rocket science. It's telly and it's entertainment. And you can panic and panic and panic. And you can worry about what everybody thinks of you. I had this chat with my son this morning because he's doing a school play and he's absolutely pulled himself to bits over it. Like you can worry about what everybody else out there is thinking, but they're not doing it. You're doing it. And you're doing it because people want you to do it and because you're good at what you're doing. Even when you think you're not, you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the position that you're in. So um, you're very good at doing the pep talk for other people. Well, I know. But then I said to him, you know, this, I, you are what I've always been. And mm. I don't want you to get to 35, 40, like I was, still worrying about those things. When the people watching you, they don't care. They're yeah. not thinking that. That's all in your head. Yeah. And the ones that are thinking that, who cares? Yeah. Like, let them carry on. That is the great thing about getting older, isn't it? That you just yeah. care less. We're going to talk about the fifth desert island dish now. What is the dish you eat the most often? Yeah, so the chicken quesadillas that I told you about that my sister makes, we kind of do shifts. So she has a couple of real bangers that she will make. And then I'll have a couple of, I'm not going to call mine bangers, but safety staples (laughs) that that I'll make. And then um, Matt will kind of happily rustle up 
anything. So what are your safety staples? So I will always go for something um, that you can cook en masse. So I'll do like a big pot of curry or chilli that yeah. can kind of feed everybody. You can have loads of nibbles on the side. You've got leftovers so you can put it in the freezer in the days that you're panicking as a parent because you haven't got anything, you whip it out and it's just suddenly there. And I'm really lucky because my kids will try anything and that's something I really tried to do from a young age with them was give them flavour and spice and to try different cuisines from around the world. I do remember making a really good curry once when Isabel was a baby. <laughs> and um, uh, I didn't give it to her the day I made it. And then I gave it to her the following day when it kind of sat for a bit and all blended together more. And I didn't taste it before I gave it to her. Oh, no. And she ate it. And then I had some later on. And, I mean, it was... It was full on for me and I've grown up eating spicy Indian food which I love um but did she like it well she ate it and she was only 10 months old <laughs> she just do you think she's okay? Let me see. Is everything all right? She's desperately um, wanting extra but, milk. I mean, she is an absolute spice fiend now. So I'm like, hey, and she'll eat anything. Like, she eats things that I don't eat. She will eat sushi. She'll eat all of it. And my son as well. Oysters, like, everything. And I love it. I'm very... I know what I like and I like what I know. And But Matt is the total opposite. He'll put anything in his mouth, as we saw in the jungle. Um, as... Um, just try anything. And the kids, apart from Trixie, she's not very much like that. Um, the other two, are, are they're, they're great. And I love that because I wish I was a bit more like that. Mm. But so, so yeah, I, I'll do, I love doing a curry. I love Indian food. Let's talk about cooking with the stars because the premise is that celebrities are paired with professional chefs who mentor them and teach them to cook at a restaurant level. Do you think your own cooking has improved as a result of working on the show? I think I've learned that I overcook things. Mm. Um, I always find steak a problem. It's hard to get to get it right, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's got better. Vegetables. Mm. I mean, I, I just get rid of the goodness most of the time. Um, so that is another thing because I do them for less. The whole blanching thing as mm. well, like, oh, they look really green still. The older generation, like how we grew up, I think that was what people did then. Like Boil the hell out of yeah. it. <laughs> so that's what we knew. <laughs> so it's relearning something yeah. that you thought you knew forever. Absolutely. And seasoning. I mean, seasoning. That's like the, the theme of the whole show every single year. I mean, if, if Rosemary Sch Schrager talks about seasoning one more time we might all combust matt has always over seasoned i have always under seasoned so between us now on the show we have learned how to season just right probably out of those two you are in the right in under seasoning because you can always add more with cooking well, yes. but it's hard to take yeah. away but matt is is very much like that he always puts too much salt too much chili it's like oh, i think i've gone too far <laughs> If, if in doubt, throw in a potato. Sometimes that can help. Oh, does it? Mm, sometimes. It soaks up some of the extra salt. Oh, that's good to know. The show has been hugely popular. What do you think it is about cooking competitions in general that we love so much? Like, why is it a formula that works so well? Well, we all love food, don't mm. we? And we all need to eat. And I think if you can... 
Watch people on a show who are preparing meals that you can make in your own kitchen. So they're not too technical. They're not too difficult. There's not a bunch of ingredients that you've never heard of or you have to go, like, out of your way to try and find when you go shopping. Um, I think that's a perfect recipe for a... (laughs) No pun intended, for for a cookery show. Then, obviously, you've got celebs and people love watching celebs on telly. And I think it's, you know, it's not... A hugely serious show. It, it's it's very light. Um, I think it's good for kind of everybody to watch. We have some brilliant chefs as well, um, and it's that little um, combination I think of the team and how they interact together. Yeah, it's such good viewing. You lifted the veil in a recent interview about what it's like working on the TV show, like Cooking with the Stars, and the days are really long. So you might start at eight a.m. and you don't finish work till eleven p.m. Is that quite usual? Yeah, Cooking with the Stars isn't quite so long. The voice is the long one, so so they're like 8am till 10pm. It's twists and turns. You know, some days you literally don't see daylight <laughs> for weeks on end, and then sometimes you're sat at home for weeks on end. So they're long days without any sunlight or fresh air. You've described your dressing room on Cooking with the Stars as full of biscuits and delicious things. <laughs> Is that because those are on your rider? Like, do you get a no, rider as a presenter? No. <laughs> yeah, you do get a rider. The whole team actually tries to minimise sugar consumption because when you're in those long days for long periods, that's all you end up eating. And then you're, like, that hangover is real, but it's not from alcohol, it's from sugar. Yeah. Um, so we always try and keep it as healthy as possible. But you can't help it with Cooking with the Stars, again, because the whole studio is littered with snacks. So you can take it out of your dressing room and put it in a hallway, but the hallway's already got stuff in it. (laughs) And then you can go into, like, the green room, and the green room's covered. So you try and get away from those chocolate cornflake cakes, and it's impossible. Yeah, those will get you every time. Which are Moorish. Whole bucket, and I'm, like, one. One bucket bucket is a single serving, surely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the sixth desert island dish, and that's your go-to dinner party dish. I hate to repeat myself, but it would be something that I can cook en masse. But I, I, I try to theme, I think. So if we did a big curry, I would try to do like a spread. So it had all the dips and breads and poppadoms and sides. Do you throw a lot of dinner parties? No. <laughs> Um, well, I feel like we've always got a dinner party because there's the five of us. My sister lives there. My parents are there a lot. So there's always yeah. probably eight of us in our house all the time. That's so Which fun. is a dinner party, really, yeah. in yeah. itself. Um, or we will do Mexican or we'll do Italian. I love chicken parmigiana. Mm. Mm. And I love penne arrabbiata. So Matt, if Matt is doing something to make me happy or it's my birthday, I'll come home and it will be literally like breaded chicken, penne arrabbiata, buff, uh, uh, burrata salad. Mm. Oh, that's good. Breaded cheese and tomatoes, really. Yeah. yeah. Are you a big pudding person? Yes. If you were having people around or when you have all your family there, what do you tend to serve as a pudding? I love to make an eaten mess because it's just easy. Whip some cream, bash some meringues. My mum makes an amazing pavlova. That's like our Christmas staple for me is is that. Um, In lockdown at Christmas, we started dabbling with tiramisu because that is my most favourite pudding. Why Um, is it so delicious? Yeah. I learned how to make chocolate eclairs doing Bake Off because that was our showstopper. Mm. So I'm really good at creme pat and I'm really good at 
chocolate eclairs. Although my family would be like, well, where the hell have they been for the last year and a half? Because you haven't made any for ages. That's um, cool. So you feel like some of the skills that you learned on Bake Off, you oh, have. Absolutely. And because I love cake and I love pudding, um, I love eating, but it's just the, the process of cooking. But baking, I know, it's like having a baby at the end of a, of a pregnancy. Like, there's something worth it at the end. Do you know what I mean? Matt made... I keep talking about Matt, don't I? Um, he made for my birthday once a multi-layered Victoria sponge, because I love Victoria sponge, but I, don't, but I like fresh cream in it, not buttercream. Mm. But he um, made it, because I love eating mess... He, he kind of bashed up meringue and put it in it, and it was like an eaten mess Victoria sponge. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was very rogue and off the cuff, so it was like an eaten mess filling. On Desert Island Dishes, we have a cookbook corner. What is your most treasured cookbook? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to get my hands on Auntie Wynne's cookbook. That would be my most treasured, I think, but I don't have it. So it, I suppose it has to be the one that I use the most, and that is Mary Berry's Baking Bible. It's hard to kind of open the pages because they're stuck together. Mary Berry's is definitely, that has had the most use in my house. So that would be the one, you know, if they're all going up in flames, that's the one I'm pulling out. <laughs> the final seventh desert island dish. What is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island? We literally were talking about this for hours on end. Uh, I was on a trek the other week and um, that was one of our conversations. So I know this. Uh, I would have a burrata salad to start. Mm -hmm. I would have my mum's roast dinner and lamb with mint sauce and Yorkshire puddings and broccoli cheese, not cauliflower cheese. Controversial, mm. but much better in my opinion. Ooh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I love the sound of that. <laughs> um, and then tiramisu. Perfect. With a margarita on the rocks with no salt. Amazing. I love that you already had the answer completed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emma, those were your Desert Island dishes. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So there we have it. Another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. Don't forget that you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It boosts the show in the charts and helps others to find it, which is great. If you don't already, come and follow us on Instagram at Desert Island Dishes and you can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at DesertIslandDishes.co. Thank you again to our season sponsor, Lloyd's Bank. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.